Welcome back to the Motives Life Podcast. Today, we have a guest, Katerina. Last name? Grimaldi. Grimaldi. Italiano. Yes. We love Italians around here. Uh, Katerina Grimaldi. She is a newly licensed social worker, correct? Yep. Two years. Great. And she's from Leaf Psychotherapy in Cold Snack. Little Silver. Little Silver. Mm -hmm. Got it. Kind of the same area. Yeah. Awesome. So she's with us today. Uh, We were connected to each other. We uh, jumped on a Zoom call. We were chatting, heard her story, thought it was great uh, and inspiring. So we brought her onto the podcast today just to hear more about her journey from where she once was to the person that's creating space for people, asking really great questions of them, unpacking things that are resisting them to be the person that they wish to be in various ways. And um, that really resonates with the depth of service that we are uh, aspire and do provide for our clients, obviously within our scope, but it's just unpacking in our lane. Like you want to be fit or you want to exercise, like what's holding you back? And you, I see you as a person that you're just like, you can swim a hundred feet down and we're just like, you know, nine feet in the deep end we can go. So welcome. Thank you. I, I, uh, I'm excited to to jump on this one. You're you're the first guest that we've had in this. Um, I don't even know what you call it, like this area. Yeah, this field of, of this field. Yeah. I mean, we've had other professionals on here, but the psychotherapy mindset psychology space is has always been so intriguing to me. Um, so I appreciate you making the time to come out. Of course, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Let's get started by just painting a picture of who you are, where you went to school, how you became a social worker, and where you're currently working and and the type of uh, business and clientele that you guys are serving now. Yeah, so definitely a loaded question. I started at Brookdale Community College after high school, and I think I always knew I wanted to end up in the helping profession, but I didn't know quite what. I had ideas of first becoming a special education educator. Uh, I thought I was going to be a speech language pathologist when I went from high school to college. And I didn't really do anything to hone in on that per se. I didn't put much research in it. My brother is autistic and was seeing a speech therapist still at that time. I didn't ask her like, can I shadow any sessions? Can I talk to you about this? But when I started taking my gen ed courses at Brookdale, I took some psychology courses. And that's when my mind really opened up to that. And I felt a connection to it, but I didn't really know what to do with it. And I was at Brookdale for a total of six years. Mm. I switched my major twice. I went through some personal things that held me back. So I wasn't a full-time student. I did it part-time for a majority of the time I was there. And my final two years there, I met with my advisor who was a licensed family and marriage therapist. And I asked her, what does that entail? And she told me, and she said, we have a pre-social work course here, human services. And I signed up for it. My final two years of Brookdale, as soon as I went into those courses and I was around those other students and professors, that's where I knew I belonged and what I wanted to do Mm. when it came to opening my mind and my eyes up to so many things in the world and how it affects people. And 
I don't think I would have had that opportunity to experience it that way otherwise. Um, and then I went to Monmouth University for my bachelor's and master's in social work. And I went the social work route rather than licensed professional counselor because social work encompasses so much more than just what might be going on up in the brain and in the mind. It takes in your environment, you know, what you were exposed to in childhood, let's say, your family dynamics, how trauma might affect you in your work relationships, your romantic relationships. And that's when I really honed in on, I want to go from the clinical approach. I want to work with individuals in a private practice someday so that I can choose in terms of my experience and expertise who I serve. Hmm. I love that. So you chose a route that is is much more, I, I would say, I, I like to always use like zoom in, zoom out, zoom out. So as you're talking, I'm just thinking about how when, you when you're at that fork in the road and you have to make a decision on social work or what was the other option? Licensed professional counseling. Which is a little bit more zoomed in and specific, right? Right. More psychology, I would say. Right. And, and the social work route is zoomed out. And, and it's a vast picture of, yep. we need to get context of a lot of things mm -hmm. and a lot of things. And, and, and again, you can niche in, in all of these different areas yeah. of where you're at also. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious since practicing now, how, like, where have you been led to niche in, or are you still kind of in that figuring it out? I want to expose myself to many options. I think I'm still in it, but I do have an idea of what I would say my specialty areas are now. So once I graduated from Monmouth and I studied for the LSW exam and I took it and I got my physical license in the mail, that's when I started applying. And I applied to 52 private practices in Monmouth County, maybe one or two in Ocean County because I was set in what I wanted to do. And at that time, from internship experiences I've had. I was in the inpatient psych unit of a hospital review medical center in Red Bank. I interned at an elementary school in Monmouth County. And then my final clinical internship for my master's, I was at a broader scale private practice called Integrated Care Concepts and Consultation in Eatontown. And they were more of the holistic approach where they had services besides talk therapy. They had group therapy, they had play therapy there, they had trauma-informed yoga. And that's what drew me to therapy even more too, how innovative it can be and how more up and coming it's coming even today to reach more people. Hmm. And yeah. What do you love most about social work as a whole and really the work that you're doing? So I would say I love how broad it is in terms of what I could do. Like I don't have to always stay at a private practice level if I didn't want to. I could go to an agency or I could have a higher up position somewhere if I wanted. I could do, I do this on the side right now too, the in-home therapy, um, but I see teens through that virtually um, for extra hours toward my license. That's always a need. Um, 
and I love how, like I said, when I started in school, it really opened up my eyes and my mind to a wide variety of things that I don't think I would have had access of seeing from that point of view or painted in that light if I weren't in the classes that I was in and surrounding the people that I were. And from there was also how I decided like what I want my specialty areas to be. So I mentioned trauma earlier. Everyone that I've seen, whether in my internships or at the two private practices I've been in, have experienced some level of trauma in their life. Um, anxiety, depression, grief, LGBTQIA plus issues, um, eating disorders, body dysmorphia, things like that, OCD. And I would say for right now, like, that's that for me, but I'm definitely not opposed to expanding my horizons and my growth into other specialties or even when it comes to therapeutic modalities that I pull from. Mm. So is it is it that you love the vastness of opportunity in the world of social work or is it more so the outlet or the space that social work provides for you to be able to impact a human being regardless of whatever lane it is. And you're just like, I don't really know what lane that is supposed to be, but I'm doing it. I would say both. And I don't mean that in like a negatively selfish way. Like I'm a human being at the end of the day. I don't look at it as, oh, I'm better than this person or this client because I'm a therapist or I have it so much more figured out because I'm a therapist. I don't, you know, um, I think the imposter syndrome comes into, like we talked about earlier with, am I doing enough for this person or this client if I'm not providing them with insight and skills and tools to implement every time that I see them? And my previous supervisor reminded me like, Katerina, you're a human being at the end of the day and so are they. They want you to just hold space for them and validate them, help them be seen and heard because even if to outsiders who don't know what I do, where they're like, oh, you're just talking to someone. I'm like, well, I'm not. There's a difference between talking and processing. But if someone's coming to me where they're like, I just need to vent. I don't want guidance. I don't want feedback. I just want to vent. That's fine because they might not have that connection outside of therapy. Right. Yeah. The the so much of that resonates with how we like we believe that we're providing value for our clients. It's creating space for them here. It happens to be a physical space where you exercise, Mm -hmm. but in that space, it's, it's really just the, the doorway into personal development and exercise is the thing that the outside world sees as, Oh, it's a gym. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, it's not. You know, if it it was just a gym, there would be no intentional space created to help you process yourself. Yep. And we don't, we, we want to be the space that provides you the opportunity to exercise, gain physical confidence, gain mental confidence, empower your thoughts and process what was holding you back from even optimizing your health in the first place. And one, one thing you made me think about is regardless of whether you're a social worker or a personal trainer, or you, you mentioned that you were a cashier at ShopRite, yes. like through your, <laughs> through your schooling, right? Like 
all three of those individuals possess the power to deliver value to a human being that walks in front of them by creating space and asking of asking valuable questions. I used to joke that I must have had it stamped on my forehead that I was becoming a therapist because, or I have an approachable aura about me that would be like, hi, how are you? Price plus card or phone number. And they would just start talking to me about their day while I'm bagging groceries. <laughs> like, you know what? If this is their outlet for the day, that's fine. Makes my shift go by quicker. When you were working at ShopRite, you were in, going to school at Brookdale mm -hmm. and Mammoth also, or just through Brookdale? No, it was a little bit through Brookdale, I believe. And then I graduated from there in 2016. And I was there for undergrad at Monmouth and for my master's. I left in 2019 because I had to pursue my clinical internship. And that in itself was like a job. So I mm -hmm. left ShopRite to do that. I can't erase the image in my brain right now. Social worker having thousands of sessions thousands of two minute sessions at the checkout aisle yep. just by default until one day it was like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this the whole time. Yeah. I think sometimes too, when I reflect on my life, I'm like, maybe this is what I was meant to be, whether it's my personality or again, what I've gone through in my own life and how I've integrated it into my professional work, because that stuff comes up when you're in session. And that's why it's really emphasized to process it with a clinical supervisor so that you're not bringing it into the session where it's impacting the other client, mm. you know, in terms of, oh, this client sitting across from me reminds me of so-and-so at this point in my life, I'm going to start talking to them how I would at that point in my life. And I don't want to do that because it's unhelpful mm. usually. Um, or we're big with self-disclosure when it comes to you don't bring up your own stuff. I'll only do that if I really think a client will benefit from it. But I never say, oh, this is about me. This is what I went through. I'll say another client of mine or someone close to me has gone through X, Y, and Z. Maybe this can help you. Wow, I love that. Mm -hmm. It's a gray area. It's like a fine line. I, I, I love the last part of that, the, the self-disclosure piece, because so often especially in our industry, right? You come up in the fitness industry by being fit mm -hmm. most often. And then believe having the confidence and then people ask you questions and you're yep. like, wow, I can make money training people mm -hmm. in a very simplistic broad stroke way. <clears throat> so what that leads to is a lot of trust being earned in our industry through disclosing, this mm -hmm. is what I do, this is what I eat, this is how I train, this is how I dress. Do all of those things and you will be your version of me. Right. And an elevated version of that is what I believe to be what we're doing here professionally. And it's, it's very, very powerful to retain that frame of not disclosing that stuff to the client for your benefit, mm -hmm. right? Because everything that we do and we talk about is is putting the needs of, of that, your patient or our client first. Um, it just made me think of that for a second because it's easy to get caught up in, in our world because it's not a medical space, right? Right. So it's easy to get wrapped up in like, oh, like I just, boom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I know what that feels like. That's me too. Right, right. Right, yep. instead of putting their needs first and not stealing that moment or that space or that conversation for them just for the sake of saying, me too. Yep. Like, 
Absolutely. And I, I say that to clients too, when they come in, this isn't a race. This isn't a rush where I want you to feel quote unquote cured or better in five to seven sessions. For some people, maybe if they've done therapy before, it can be shorter term in the sense of being solution focused where they're like, I've got my validation. I've processed what I've needed to process. Now I need the skills and the steps to take to get from point A to point B. And what you were just saying before too, in terms of self-disclosure, that comes in with empathy. Anyone mm. can learn to be empathic. It's a skill, it's a muscle to strengthen, but it's not about putting yourself in the other person's shoes. Because even if you're like, I've gone through the same thing or something very similar, you can't compare to what they're going through simply because they're not you. Empathy is you're sitting with them in the ick and what I, that's what I call it. And it's uncomfortable, it's messy, but it's the kind of discomfort to lean into so that you can grow and mm. so that you can validate your experience and get confident in being vulnerable and for showing up for yourself instead of repressing and denying your experiences. Would you say that that what you just described after empathy, if you start to go down the route of sitting in the ick and disclosing and saying, oh, I feel you, I feel you. Mm -hmm is sympathy. Yeah. Or the whole like, oh, I feel sorry for you. Or even I can't imagine what that's like, but really you probably can. Right. And just holding space for them is enough or saying something like, yeah, you know what? If I were in that position, I would feel that way too. Mm. And of course it depends person to person, how you reach them in that sense. And it's a learning process. Yeah. Empathy is a word that gets thrown out a lot yeah, in, in our space mm -hmm. and I'm sure in yours, but uh, you're making my brain fire off in a million different ways right now because I'm just thinking about how to articulate and empathy concisely in a way where it's, it's actually wielded as the tool it's supposed to be and not this version of empathy that gets kind of yep. muddied. Vulnerability too. I mean, there's a difference between being vulnerable and being open. I mean, I have clients and people in my own personal life that they'll say, well, I can tell my story to anyone. I can have a conversation with a wall. I'm so open. But it, when it comes down to being vulnerable, that's where they struggle. And the vulnerability is the Oh, I feel like self-conscious bringing this up. I feel uncomfy, like not a discomfort where you feel unsafe, of course, hmm. but it's a lot different than just being open where you feel like you can tell your story to anyone. If that makes sense. A lot of sense. A lot of sense. Yeah. It comes through even like emotional intimacy, like whether not just in a romantic relationship, in a friendship, in a workspace, in a family asking those questions of, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? Or where were you at this point in your life five years ago? Um, what's your favorite thing that we like to do together? What new thing would you like to learn? And some people are uncomfortable getting in the nitty gritty of that where it seems like such a surface level question, but it can go a lot deeper than that. Yeah. So an example of vulnerability versus openness, just using my wife and I as an example, right? I may believe that my wife and I have strong openness because mm -hmm. we talk a lot or we spend a lot of time together. And um, the difference is, though, how often is that dialogue and the experiences that you share with each other 
actually like putting your head underwater and swimming a little bit deeper into right. vulnerability. Right. And you don't have to be on a deep level all of the time because that's it's just not realistic to do that. It's not realistic to feel all of the emotions all the time, mm. you know, because you don't want to get overwhelmed either. There needs to be lightheartedness. Um, but it's true. Like even when I've worked with couples, the technique of mirroring comes up a lot when it comes to communication and openness because so many couples and individuals are misinterpreting what they're saying because they struggle to mirror what their partner's saying, like literally repeating back to their partner what they just heard them say so words aren't being misconstrued. Hmm. Or, and you can do this with anyone, it doesn't have to be a spouse or a significant other, you go into it with them hey, do you have five to 10 minutes to talk about X, Y, and Z? Or are you in the headspace for me to talk about this subject right now? And some people will say, yeah, that's fine. You know, pull up a chair, let's get started. And other people might say, you know what? Like I've had a rough day, um, check in with me tomorrow because I wanna be as present and engaged with you as I possibly can. I mean, I'm someone, I don't always think of that when I'm about to like rant or vent and I've had clients along the way, whether I saw them as a couple or individually say, why should I ask that? They should be ready though to talk to me and wanna hold space for me. I'm like, no, yeah, of course I hear what you're saying. But again, they can't pour from an empty cup because yes. then I think you'll be more upset hearing that response than someone as an act of self-love for themselves and that other person to say, let me get back to you so that I can sit with you in it. I love that. One, one thing that's coming up that I've had a few conversations most recently around is the idea of um, creating intentional space, right? And how to do that for your spouse. So tying into marriage again with my wife, right? If, if we both come home from work and she wants this, wants space, right? And she just starts going off mm -hmm. at the dinner table. I can have the awareness to ask a simple question in that moment. Do you want me to just hold space and listen? Mm -hmm. Or are you interested in, or, or are you asking me to filter Absolutely. and yep. process with you? Yep. Do you want advice even? Because those yep. are two different things. Mm -hmm. And you're making me think back to the vulnerability and openness that we were we were at, right? Pulling that into that. I'm basically asking like, do you just want to be open right now or do you want to op you want to give permission to get vulnerable if yep. it needs to go there? Mm -hmm. And it's okay. Like the answer that comes from that question is okay either way for me mm -hmm. as the space holder because I, it's it's to her benefit, right. not mine. So if I'm putting the needs of her first and she says I just want want to be open right now, I'm mm -hmm. like that's fine. Yeah. It's all about where you're at. Yeah. yeah. Checking in with yourself. Yeah. I will actively listen but I'm not going to press. Mhm. Mm or pull you. Yeah. Probe. Yep. Love it. I knew I, I wanted you on here for a reason. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like I'm in session right now. Oh boy. I'm going to put out my hand after this. Oh uh, yeah. No, I'm uh, I'll pay you in uh, pizza, cannolis. Absolutely. Yeah. And, All uh, the carbs. Yeah. Works for me. Um, I want to make sure we touch on leaf. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the, the practice you're with right now. Uh, I know you're only with them for a few months. Mm -hmm. I just want to hear more about that practice because it seems very unique to what's what's out there right now. Yeah. So I work at LEAF by Dr. Dana Spada Psychotherapy in Little Silver. We're in Monmouth County. We offer individual therapy, 
couples counseling, family therapy for a wide array of individuals, ages, backgrounds, and each clinician there has their own level of expertise and specialty areas that they've honed in on when it comes to serving those populations. We're holistic, um, so we come from more of an integrative approach And an example of that that I like to implement with my clients is when it's a nice day, I pull from ecotherapy. So we'll go outside, we'll walk around the complex that we're in, or we'll sit on a picnic table bench and just talk. And it gives them... I think a level of ease that they don't always get sitting in my office. You know, I'm I'm not super clinical or sterile. I bring a lot of myself to who I am as a therapist, personality-wise. I'm very expressive, but I just see a level of ease in them when it comes to opening up and their comfortability and just being in nature in general can be very healing. It's not to say it's going to solve a lot of complex issues, but it's something. And even with movement, we're not meant to be completely inactive individuals when it comes to um, releasing energy. So I like that there. And we're also trying to expand in more of a wellness center down the line. Right now we offer Reiki, we offer group therapy, and we're going to try to offer other things besides talk therapy in the future. Um, So that was something that drew me to the practice too when it came to again, expanding my existing clinical skills and wanting to build my clientele even more. I feel like it's a good aid in my personal and professional development. Awesome. Is most of the work being done in person or virtual? I see a majority of my clients in person, but I see some of them virtually. So if I don't have as busy of a week, maybe I'll just, you know, stay home and do the session virtually from home or I'll be in my office just to be in the space. I don't have the distractions and I'm seeing them virtually, but I see a lot of my clients in person. Awesome. And we were talking offline before the call about the the concierge model of the service at Leaf. Yep. When, in contrast to other uh, businesses like yours, like what makes the concierge aspect of your guys' structure different? So, like I was saying, I don't. I'm not an expert in this. It's just from you know experience and working in it. There's pros and cons to things like accepting insurance and not accepting insurance. And at Leaf, we are out of network, but the concierge service comes up in that somewhere that's a larger scale private practice or an agency level, they have higher turnover rates or they have therapists that might be overworked and undervalued, unfortunately. And that's not everywhere, of course, but um, they might also have long wait times and wait lists when it comes to schedule an appointment for therapy. At LEAF, you have a direct line to a therapist. And if we're not picking up on the first ring, we call someone back right after and we have immediate availability. So we're able to schedule someone a lot sooner than they think they're going to be seen. And even through that initial conversation aside from like the logistics part of it that the referral might be asking about i'm trying to build rapport in that phone call so they feel like this is where they could end up and this is a safe space for them to be their authentic selves Mm. in that discovery call per se right are you building rapport and trying to figure out 
if you're best suited to help them? Oh, absolutely. You know, if they ask me right away, if they accept insurance, I do come back to the question because I'm transparent, but I'll say, you know, before we get to that, I want to first ask you, have you been to therapy before? What are you looking to get out of therapy right now? I want to see how I might be able to best help you. And sometimes, yeah, they'll go into it almost like a consultation call. And I thank them for sharing because it does take a level of courage and it's a self-care method as well to take that first step to get help for yourself. And it's worked in my favor that then they want to schedule with me and I tell them it's no commitment, no pressure. If you come in and feel like we're not a good match for each other, that's fine. I can refer you to someone else in the practice or refer you out somewhere, but it's never happened that way. Thankfully, everyone I've seen, they click with me off the bat. Wow. Are most people coming by referral or is it a mix of referral and just kind of cold lead traffic? I would say it's a mix. My previous practice, I would say it was more referral based and word of mouth that it got around that we were a practice in Matawan and we had availability and these were our specialties because too, depending on what you specialize in, people will look into that and they're interested in it. And that's what they'll ask for from the get go. Hmm. Very good. How do I know if I need it? How you need therapy? Yeah. Like how do, if I'm, if I'm listening to this right now, right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, I kind of like Katerina and what she's saying. This is a, this is a cool conversation. How would I know as a listener, if I would benefit basically from the value that your practice gives? I think everyone can benefit from therapy. Like seriously. And I, I always get them when I meet a new person, are you psychoanalyzing me? What would you diagnose me with? It's not about that because even when I see someone, wherever I was, internship or practices I've worked in and they're previously diagnosed or I'm thinking what I might diagnose them if I could, it doesn't matter because I'm seeing the human being first over the diagnosis. And Mm -hmm. going back to what we said earlier, yes, in terms of my scope of practice and my expertise, there are times I have to assess if I can serve them and give them what they need because it would be unfair if I said, no, I got this. And if I really didn't, because I don't want to leave them, I don't want to leave them hanging. I don't want to lead them down the wrong road. Um, So yeah, I mean, I have to just be honest with myself and honest with them about that. But I think anyone could benefit from it just based on what they've gone through in their own life, based on the world that we live in. But like I said, it could be more short short term where they come for a few sessions, they're good to go. Or some people are lifers in therapy or some people they stop for X amount of time. They take a break. They might come back a few years, a few months later. That's happened too. Um, But I would say like diagnoses aside, whatever it might be, if you're someone that you think a mental health issue is impacting your functioning and your ability to live your everyday life and do what you have to do, I would say, yeah, there's no harm in asking for help. There's no shame, no Mm. matter what it is. If I, for me, I've, I've, I don't know if I've necessarily been to therapy per se, um, I've seen a sports psychologist like back in the day. Does that count? I remember you saying that and I'm not totally familiar with sports psychology, but I don't know if it's from my understanding, if you're going for like, let's say if you've been an athlete all your life and you have, um, 
you know, a physical ailment or an injury that is impeding on your performance and you're going to the sports psychologist for that, I think that can go so much deeper when it comes to ego and self-esteem. But I don't know if sports psychology gets that deep. But if I were seeing you and you came to me for that, that's what I would be asking about. Mm. Like what led you to be an athlete? How has that impacted your life? If you're not an athlete now, what do you think of your life? Wow. As a high school kid, that would blow my mind. Right. If you asked me those questions. Yeah. Um, I brought that up because I, I went to a sports psychologist for performance anxiety. Yes. Uh, for years. Mm -hmm. and Not year, like two years, but it was extremely helpful. And what I found most helpful wasn't necessarily the tactics that he was giving me to deploy, but it was just the space where someone empathized with me and they were yep. like, hey, man, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Uh do you see this, the waiting room out there? Yeah. There's five more of you coming in yep. after you. And that was very um, relieving for me. Like it lifted a lot of weight. It helped me feel lighter immediately. Just knowing that I wasn't the only one struggling with that. Um, but again, I, back to why I brought that up. I sometimes when I hear for myself personally, I hear the word mental health. And for me, it's, it's uh, painted red. Like the font of that word is red. Mm -hmm with a lot of the work that we've been doing at motives, that color of the word has tremendously changed for me to be more of less of a, like a red flag mm -hmm. word yep. and more of no, no, no. This is something as, as important and as significant as your physical health. Absolutely. And just like some people or very few people are able to maintain a consistent physical health regimen for themselves, mm -hmm. it's as important to do the same mentally. Yep. And that's why I asked that question of how do I know if I need it? Because I, I so often, and in my first knee jerk is to be like, well, do I need it? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, do you need physical exercise? Right. It's similar. It's an investment in yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, it's it goes back to even, you know, clients I see or people in my own life. Is there something wrong with me? Do I need to be fixed? And I'm like, no, it's just, again, trying to enhance yourself so that you can be the best version of yourself, whatever that looks like. Awesome. Where can we find you? In terms of where I practice or? Sure. Practice, social media. Sure. So contact information. <laughs> so what shop right are you at? Uh, oh, I'm gosh, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Bringing it back. Um, so I'm at Leaf by Dr. Dana Spada Psychotherapy in Little Silver, Monmouth County, New Jersey. I see again in person sessions for therapy, virtual sessions for therapy. I'm on social media. <laughs> my account is private. It's not therapy. Don't really. drop it. Yeah. It's okay. My account how about isn't the, therapy. How about the practices? Uh, do they have a social media account or anything that you can follow or a website or anything? Yes, we are on Instagram. It's Leaf Psychotherapy. And then our website is www.leafpsych.com. Perfect. That's what I was looking for. Okay. Do you have any questions for me before we wrap? No, I don't think so. Do you have anything for me you want me to answer or expand on? No, this was great. I'm, I'm very interested to have you back. Thank you. In a less like interviewee type of way to figure out or, or kind of just paint a picture of who Katarina is and more so like, Hey, 
these two things have come up for us in the past 30 days. Let's, absolutely. Let's yep. like dive into them. Yeah. Collaborate somehow. Absolutely. And record it because yes. it would be very powerful for people to hear. Thank you. So, That's great. Thank you very much. Of course. Thank you. You're welcome.